With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. And sadly, listeners, this is the last of our World Cup special podcasts. Joining me on the line from London is Sam Landsberger. Sam, how are you? Pretty flat, to be honest. I think, like, like a lot of the Australians, really wanted to be at that final at Lords, but they were just completely outplay, weren't they? It was by far their worst performance of the whole tournament and it wasn't a good time they had it and you could sort of sense I think in the days leading up that they were maybe a little bit rattled maybe a little bit nervous um I feel the maybe the laughter had gone down a um a couple of levels uh yeah it was a really bitter way to end what what had been up until that stage a really promising campaign yes Sam I I was trying to do some reflection as as to whether I really thought Australia could ever win this World Cup and I think at times during the tournament, maybe I got a little bit carried away and thought the Australians could win it. But, but I think in the end, this is a pretty good result from where they started a few months ago. It was, but I mean, that's the glass half full approach. But if you were walking out of Lords after they'd knocked over England and New Zealand, the two finalists within about five days of each other, I don't think anyone in the world didn't think they could win it. So if you look at it from that point of view, um, especially to go out in the fashion they did, it was a really tight semi-final. It might be, you know, a little bit easier to digest, but to get completely outplayed by that, I, I, I thought was a, a really sad way to, to to end. And I think it goes. I mean, England's been building and building for four years. As as impressive as Australia was, this is a team that was thrown together. 
in a in a hotel room in a crisis meeting just six months ago in December during the Boxing Day test. So they were always coming from a very long way back. They were trying to integrate Steve Warner and Dave, uh, Steve Smith and David Warner, as well as Mitchell Stark, who didn't play in the India or Pakistan series. So it really was a last minute assault on this campaign. But yeah, to go out the way they did, um, I, I think that'll burn a few of them for a long time. I want to get into the horror nature of the defeat, but just from a bigger picture, I think you and I spoke a lot about the, the squad selection, and if there was one concern, it was the the lack of middle-order power, the lack of middle-order options, and I think that did come home to roost in the end. I think having Sean Marsh and Usman Khawaja there probably de- did leave them a bit short in the middle middle order. And, you know, with Maxwell and Stoinis having fairly average World Cups, uh, not having another option there might have uh, come back to bite them in the end. Yeah, well, look, obviously Ashton Turner was the one that missed out. I mean, he made that, what, 84 or 43, I think, in Mahali to, to get the moment in that, in that famous run chase. He was the one that missed out, but, I mean, I... I think you had to put, you simply had to pick Usman Khawaja based on his body of work in 2019. Yeah, but you didn't have Shaw to pick Marshall. Sean Marsh. And, and what about Peter Hanscom? Like, if they'd had Hanscom in there, I mean, if it, if he wouldn't have come into the semi final completely cold. So, yeah, it's a good point. I'll, I'll go back to the selection for the India series, though. I mean, we all thought um, Matthew Wade, maybe even Darcy Short, might get another chance and. Basically, once you weren't on the, on that plane to India in February, you were out of the mix because they were only ever going to pick players from that squad for the World Cup, particularly with Smith and Warner coming back. So it would have been a big call to, to, to pick a way to, to leapfrog Hanscom and Turner and Shaw Marsh for the World Cup. It all goes back to then, though. I mean, given that they weren't on the plane for that series, all these players had their papers stamped, despite what they, what they were doing at domestic level, despite what they were doing in the you know, in the Big Bash or around the world. So they basically decided on the World Cup squad six months ago and nothing was going to change their minds. So whether that was the right approach or the wrong approach, I mean, it it looks like the cohesion did work, but, yeah, that lack of a specialist hitter did hurt them. Mind you, when they put this team together, nobody thought that Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Thornis would have such disappointing campaigns. I mean, if they come off in one or two games... You know, Australia can convert, a, you know, a 300 into a 400 or maybe a 213 in the final into, into close to the 300. So that is really what, what undid them in the end. All right. Well, just, just, just have a listen to this, uh, listeners. I just want to play what Justin Langer said about Stoinis and Maxwell after the final, after the semi-final. Yeah, they both, they'll both be really disappointed with the whole um, World Cup, won't they? They... Uh... You know, they were working really hard. They were, they were giving it their best shot. They just had one of those sometimes when your confidence is down a bit and it's, uh, it's not something you can just flick a switch and you're, and you're back and firing. You know, we, uh, we picked the team today. We thought it was the best team that's going to be for the World Cup. They've helped us get to this point. Um, they've still contributed. They were, I think, three and four in the fielding rankings. Um, they've, take, they've had little moments where they've had an impact. So... Um, yeah, they'll be disappointed. There's a few guys who'll be a bit disappointed. There's been a lot more positives than um, than negatives, I think. 
All right, so that was Justin Langer speaking after the semi-final defeat. Uh, Sam, you were there actually when Langer was saying that, so you can sort of maybe get a, a gist of the tone. But I thought he was pretty forthright in uh, expressing his disappointment with Stoinis and Maxwell, considering he backed them throughout the cup. Yeah, it was probably a, a, about a 12-minute press conference. And to be honest, he was really upbeat and positive. That was the only time he really spoke in a negative manner. There's no doubt he was frustrated with these two guys. I mean... Um, Marcus Stoinis, they were all in on from a long time ago. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he probably played when he shouldn't have a few times. Glenn Maxwell was in the gun. He was out of the team for probably two days leading up to the semi-final. They did a bit of a backflip, so that shows you that the thin ice he was on. The stat I got, I can't get past is that Maxi played in all ten games and faced a combined 118 balls. Now, Steve Smith faced 119 in the semi-final alone. So, I mean, to, to lose your wicket so often is just so frustrating. And Marcus Stoinis didn't pass 22 runs with the bat. Maxi, no half centuries, no wickets. I mean, it, like, it couldn't have gone worse for these two blokes. And they're two guys that going into the tournament, we thought these guys are game changers, that, that they can win us a match themselves. And they didn't do that once, so... Um, when you've got two real key planks in your team, not not taking you to any wins, it's always going to be hard to win a tournament. So when you look at it from, sort of from that point of view, my goodness, to be on top of the table with a game to go on the group stage, it's sort of like, how do they, how do, they do that? Yeah, you're right. Well, it was top order. And we'll get into some positives, but let's just sort of get to Edgbaston. I mean, just I just want your overall feeling. What was the day like? What was the atmosphere like at the semi-final? How was the English crowd? Uh, yeah, just take us into the game a little. Uh, it was amazing. I mean, to, you know, to, to think that there were only 24,000 people there boggles the mind. That first hour of England bowling when Chris Wokes and Joffre Archer had the ball singing and doing everything. I mean, it, you know, it was it was sort of like test match bowling in the way it was testing out the batsmen and that was immense. Like, it was sort of spine-tickling stuff and I went and sat in the outer for a little bit in the second innings just to try and soak up this edge bass and career because it can be quite stale behind the, the media box glass and um, I actually went out there when Nathan Lyon came on to bowl and you know, his first ball, Jason Roy lifted onto uh, into the stands, and then a couple of overs later, he you know he did that to Steve Smith three times in a row, and the place was just rocking. Like all these, uh, all the English, you know, say that of all the of all the um, uh, the grounds in the country, nothing rocks like Edge Baston. That's where the fans go absolutely berserk, and they were bang on. It was the best atmosphere. I've seen just about, you know, close to in any sporting event ever. And to think that it was just 24,000 people was absolutely crazy, that the Holly stand was, was going off. And this was with the select number of Barmy Army in the house because they couldn't all get tickets because of the ticketing fiascos that have happened because the ICC's taken over uh, of this event. So I, 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 it's sort of, I can't get my head around what August 1 is going to be like at the Ashes here when they're all in force and... You know, it's a hundred percent just about going for one team, and yeah, it was it was pretty special to be at. But yeah, the, the first hour of Wokes and Archer bowling, uh, it was um, it was unforgettable. Well, that's a, a good place to start analysing the game. Those three early wickets that uh, Wokes and Archer took of Finch, 
Warner and Hanscom really did decide the game there. Australia weren't able to ever really get back in the contest. And, and when you look at how England batted later on chasing the target, they could have got 350. So Australia needed a fast start. They got a, the exact opposite. Finch going first ball couldn't have been a worse start uh, for him and the team. And they just never could recover from that start. No, and I mean, Finch raised the bat against England at Lords a couple of weeks ago. Since he since he put his hands in the air, his batting figures are four for 11. I mean, he was one of the players that, that really trailed off. Got a great ball from Joffa. I honestly didn't think England bowled too differently to how they did at Lords a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, you know, Aaron Finch got an umpire's call, LBW decision. There were lots of players and misses. England bowled without luck. This time, they just took the wickets. I mean, those half chances went England's way. I think it was as simple as that, really. Pete Hanscom never looked comfortable. I mean, coming in for a World Cup semi-final was always going to be a risk. They simply had to do it with Kawadra and Marsh injured. But, yeah, they were never coming back from that start. And the, the thing I took out of it watching it live was that Steve Smith, my goodness, like played uh, an amazing innings. But every wicket fell at the other end. He was so frustrated and so angry. It was sort of like, why can't... You be as good as me. What are you doing? I mean, when Alice Carey played a really fine innings and then tried to take out Adil Rashid for six and got caught on the rope, you know, he sort of almost berated him um, for the other end. It was the same with Stoinis and with Maxwell and with Cummins. So you could just see that, that how much it meant to him and how intense he was and um, how angry he was, basically, that Australia was Australia's World Cup was falling away right in front of his eyes and to, for him to get nutmegged with the run out, I think just would have kept that feeling for him quite sadly. Yeah, uh, a couple of questions. Well, I think you saw with that partnership, Steve Smith and Alex Carey, fantastic stuff. What a brave effort from Carey after copping one uh, in the jaw off Archer. Uh, and probably just as Carey got out, Australia might have been clawing their way back onto level pegging and then Carey got out, Stoinis got out two balls later and it was pretty much uh, game over again. I want to ask you something about the game before against South Africa. I saw Glenn Maxwell, someone was fielding in the outfield and the batsman took a quick two um, and Maxwell sort of blew up at the fielder for not keeping it to one. Uh, do, Do you think anything... There's any attitude issues around that sort of thing? Yeah, the field was Nathan Lyon. I remember that quite vividly. Oh, no, I think in sports and hauncher, emotions are going to spill over a little bit. Um, I didn't read too much in that personally. I don't think anything was really set after that. I mean, Maxi was obviously in the gun very shortly after that game. I mean, it only took seven Rabada deliveries for him to get knocked over by another short ball. So I don't think that exact example was too much of a problem. I just think that training session two days before that game completely rattled this team. I mean, Sean Marsh broke his arm. Maxi was taken to hospital for x-rays. Smith and Berenorf had little finger injuries. And I just don't think they ever recovered. I mean, to see one of your good mates break their arm, it's not the easiest thing to do. And they couldn't have played worse against South Africa. Uh, they only lost by 10 runs. But Osman Kawaja does a hamstring early. Obviously, has to come back in at number nine. Never the same. Yeah, I think you know if Sean Marsh doesn't break his arm with that training session, I don't think it's a it's a stretch to say that Australia beats South Africa and plays New Zealand in the semi final at Manchester, where they already were settled in and had just played in that ground. So I think yeah, the, the course of action that Australia took really, really did change, not only against South Africa, but in that training session two days beforehand. Yeah, it was what Australia's uh, sliding door moment, you could say. Well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, 
what you're feeling, Sam, but for me, this is a bit of a strange thing because, you know, Australia have been in five of the last six World Cup finals. So it's very strange for me to think I'll be watching the World Cup final and it won't be Australia playing there at Lords. It'll be England and New Zealand. Yeah, five of the past six finals and four of the last five trophies. It's just an amazing record and it's probably not a bad time to reflect on that and say, yeah, that that is just a, a an era of dominance. Like, we'll, we, you know, we might never see again. Though that is just out of this world. And I think now the template's been set for twenty twenty three. You've sort of got to do what England did, and that's strip it all back to ground zero straight after a World Cup and plan for the next one. I mean, twenty twenty three in India. You know, spinning decks four years away. They've seriously got to start thinking now about. One, not only not only the team that can win the 2020 World Cup in Australia next year, but who can win the 50-over World Cup in India in 2023 because that's the way cricket is moving. You mean you've, you've really got to come up with these you know, very, very thorough game plans from a long way out if you want to be the best in the world. And that's credit where credit's due. That is what England has done. And, you know, they're one win away from... You know, from from cashing in on four years of hard work. So you speak about change for the next World Cup. I mean, if there is a clean out, I think Maxwell and Stoinis are in the firing line. I think you could see players like Mitchell Marsh and Travis Head really challenging for those spots, even someone like a, a Michael Nisa. Um, I also think, uh, you know, Aaron Finch is probably safe for the moment, but I guess at some point they'll look at him and think, will he be at the next World Cup? It's a fair point. I mean, he'll be 36 for the next World Cup. So will David Warner. Uh, so will Usman Kawaja. I think Glenn Maxwell will still be a really important part of the T20 World Cup in Australia next year. Um, whether he will be in India, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule that out just yet. I mean, yeah, he's obviously got his weaknesses, but there's so much talent there. I mean, he's, still, he's played the past 26 ODIs, so... Um, he, he's pretty embedded in the in the in the current setup. I know we're talking about the the one going forward. It's really interesting, I just isn't feel it? I mean, frustrated we want... about Maxi Sam. Sorry to yeah. cut you off, but I mean, you know as well as anybody what a big supporter of him I've been on the podcast, and yeah. you know, there's a lot of people out there who love the way he plays the cricket, and he's cricket, and I do too. But you know, he has had a frustrating couple of years. He hasn't taken the opportunities he's been given. I mean, you just no. you can't deny that anymore. No, he hasn't. But I think the one thing he's favouring, if we are talking about 2023, is that it is in India. I mean, you know, he's one of the most highly sought-after IPL players because he plays those pitches so well. We saw what he did in the T20 series against India a few months ago. So that might count for him. That'll count for someone like a Pete Hanscom, who's such a a good player of a spin. We know Alex Carey is certainly going to be there. He might be the captain in four years' time. So, I mean, they're, they're the positives you do look for when you when you ask, thinking, can Australia win their, win their seventh trophy in four years' time? Sam, so I've got my positives from the World Cup squad. I've got five players who I think really enhanced their reputations. I think David Warner coming back are just great stuff with the bat. And I think Finch as well, over 500 runs. You just can't knock that from those two players. You can't, but I mean, Finch four for 11 in his past, yeah, like 30 odd balls, whatever it was. That, I think that'll burn him. I mean, he was so good and so hot early, but yeah, the way he tailed off won't sit well with him. I mean, he's a bit of a cricket nuffy. To to face one ball in a World Cup semi final um, will be hard to get over. So, as productive as he was early, that'll sting a little bit. 
I agree. I mean, he'll be bitterly disappointed with his failure in the semi-final. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He will feel that he opened the door for England with that early wicket. Uh, the next two bowlers who I think really did well, so Mitchell Stark, again, an incredible World Cup, and uh, Nathan Lyon, I think he might have uh, nailed down the spinner spot. And you talk about India in four years, I mean, it'll be tailor-made for him. Yeah, it's a good point as well, isn't it? You know, his, far part, his last four games were pretty impressive if you look at them as a whole. Um, obviously, again, like a number of players didn't have the semi-final he wanted, but just bowls with such control. I, I know that the Australians looked at his pitch map pretty closely after his second or third game and were just sort of blown away by the accuracy. And, you know, if you're hitting Nathan Lyon for six, you're doing it generally off a really good ball. So um, he's come a long way um, in the past couple of years. He really did look look at the his time in the Sydney Sixers as a bit of a launching pad to get into the World Cup and credit to him he did it so where does that leave Adam Zamper in your eyes I mean obviously only played the four group games he was hit out of the attack by India pretty easily and basically never seen again will he be in India in four years time do you think uh, at this stage it's unlikely but you, there's a long way to go until that World Cup I think the T20 World Cup's probably still in in line for him is a bit better a T20 bowler, I think, than a yep. 50 over bowler. Um, yep. But yeah, he, he can't be happy with uh, his World Cup. And I don't think they ever really had complete faith in in him going into the tournament. No, it's a good point. I mean, to, you know, to, to be out of the team so quickly probably hints at that. Mind you, I think that was. That was the most surprising element of this World Cup for me, the, the lack of leg spin. That was a craft going in, which we all thought was going to define the entire tournament. Wickets in the middle overs, leg spinners particularly, That that's going to be how you win this World Cup. That was certainly the approach Australia took in. They had the two netballers fly over from India. They were bowling. They had spin-only training sessions in, in the, in the lead-up in London. And it just didn't play that way. I mean, look at Rashid Khan's figures. Um, look what happened to Adam Zampa, and all the damage was done in the power play by the Quicks. It was sort of back to the future, you know, in, in a little bit. So that was for me. You know, there were there were two standouts takeaways from the way the games were played. They were probably the the dominance of the top orders compared to the middle orders. All of the centuries were coming basically from the openers in the top three, and the lack of leg spin. Oh, yeah, that they were the two aspects which I, I, I found really staggering. And I know a lot a lot of the teams and the coaches. Did as well. Yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with the early starts and the weather. Uh, and the yep. last player I want to single out from the Aussie side is uh, Alex Carey. I sort of said before the tournament, if any player can have a breakout World Cup, it'll be Carey, and he did it. Just tell me up close, how brave was that innings in the semi final? I mean, seven stitches, a lot of blood. Yeah, what was it like? He'll tell you not nah, not much at all because he's a very modest boy. But my goodness, I mean, it was that was something which you know it was just coded in character. That's something which I think Australians will remember for a very very long time. Um, it's sad that he couldn't go on with it to make a, a really really big score. But I mean, to catch his helmet for one so coolly when it was probably going to fall onto his stumps was a nice little reflex from him. And yeah, to just you know so calmly stand to the side and have Doctor Richard saw so seven stitches into you your chin and then keep batting as if, you know, it's sort of like an under-12s game with no one watching was was amazing. So his temperament and his game awareness is exceptional. He's an amazing young leader. And I'd be shocked if he wasn't Australia's next test wicketkeeper after Tim Payne retires because he's that highly thought of by 
inside CA and I think now by the wider public. I think there were a lot of question marks from fans on him going into the tournament. None now. He's a star. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so just finally, I guess, what was the mood like around the team as they all sort of disbanded and some went off to get ready for the Ashes? I even see Glenn Maxwell's already back at Lancashire playing county cricket. So it was a, pretty much a case of lose and then everyone disperses. What, what was the mood like around the camp? Is Maxley back at Lancashire? I bumped into him and he said, he had a four-day game on Saturday, but I don't think he was certain if he was going to go at that stage. So he made it, did he? He did make it. He's in the team. There you go. Um, well, to be honest, they weren't quite as sort of as shattered as you, you might have thought. I mean, Justin Langer was in a pretty positive mood, a few smiles. I think when you lose by that much, it's easy to digest initially because you, you, you probably knew that you, you were never really in the game. So you've probably already been getting your head around it for, for a few hours. So... In the immediate hours afterwards, they probably weren't as gutted as you might have expected. I think that was just tied to, to the margin more than more than anything. But, yeah, they've basically got a week off now, and then it's into Ashes camp. So that four-day game, Australia v Australia A, is going to be really interesting. I don't think Jai Richardson will play in that game. I think he's a little bit further behind than a few anticipate. But outside of that, they're, they're pretty fit. Usman Khawaja won't play in that, but he should play the first test at Edgebaston. So... Yeah, it really is all eyes on the ashes now, isn't it? Yep, and uh, I guess it's a good time to leave our World Cup coverage, Sam. It's, it's been a great ride doing these podcasts together, but uh, sadly it's all over. Very sad, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been nice to go for another couple of days at least. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good ride, hasn't it? I mean, there's been some amazing cricket played. Just some great podcasts. We've had some great chats. And you We've, got... You got some great audio out of JL and Owen Morgan and and these guys. I, I mean, Ben Horn, as I said, couldn't get the same sort of response as you can. You're clearly annoying um, to them. <laughs> and uh, I asked Ben about it on the last podcast we did, and he clearly doesn't listen to this show because he had no idea what I was talking about. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> you're doing a great job. Uh. Very, very funny. Now it's been a lot of chat, a lot of fun chatting. It's yeah, it's a good way to also make sure that we stay across everything as well because nothing gets by you. So uh, it's always a pleasure to catch up. So what are you doing now? Stick around in London until Tuesday and then try and find uh, a holiday destination and then slowly make my way back to Lords for the Ashes Test as a supporter. So it will be nice to sit at Lords, perhaps with a with a cheeky beer in the hand and uh, enjoy some Test cricket, and then back for the AFL finals after that. Well, Sam, on behalf of all the listeners of Cricket Unfiltered and myself, thank you for all your hard work as the podcast's official World Cup reporter. Yeah, you've been amazing. Have a great break. Get some sun, get some cold beverages in you, and uh, we'll catch up when you're back in Australia. Pleasure. Look forward to to catching up then. Thanks, man. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.